Kelly, episode three. What's going on, buddy? Doing great. Uh, yeah, this is going to be a fun one as usual. Sticking with the, the college ranks, but uh, looking at just one college this time. So it was hard, in my opinion, to pick an actual four guys. Because the format is we take four guys from college, pros, pioneers, yada, yada, mm -hmm. yada. CFL future episode. But we take four mm -hmm. guys from that era or that uh, league or whatever, and then we mm -hmm. kind of throw them into an episode. So this one has, we could have done a tour, honestly, a three-parter. Why did you pick the four guys before we get into it? Why why these four? Well, that's a good question. I mean, yeah, we're we're talking about West Texas State. Mm -hmm. So as um, anyone out there knows, uh, they produced an embarrassment of riches when it comes to uh, pro wrestling talent. Um, and yeah, it was hard to decide. I mean, I took Dusty Rhodes because I love the American dream. So, of course, mm -hmm. uh, I'll take Dusty. It was tough choosing one of the Funk brothers, but I went with Dory Funk. Cause he's kind of, you know, he's definitely the uh, under discussed uh, of the two mm -hmm. and uh, a great wrestler. Of course, Tito Santana, one of my all time favorite wrestlers. Got to talk about him. And um, we'll get into why I chose dust or Tully Blanchard when we get to him. But uh, cause it makes sense as far as our uh, overall mm -hmm. theme goes. Cool. But I just wanted to give uh, at the end, we'll shout out some extra guys here, but let's waste no more time, Kelly. Let's get right into it. Yeah. <laughs> Kelly, tell us a little bit about West Texas State here. Yeah, West Texas State, the Buffaloes, as you can see by this lo their logo. Um, I thinking I'm thinking that's an old school logo, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Uh, the college is located in Canyon, Texas. And the football program was established in 1910. I think the college was established around that time, too. So the football program was there right from the beginning. But they didn't play in the top division of college football until 1941. And then they were in the top division until 1982. Uh, today, we would call it the FBS. But back then, it was just, I don't even think it was Division 1A. It was just the top division. Um, so 40, 41 years in the top division, they were four and oh, all time in bowl games, which is kind of an impressive, uh, little bit of trivia. Of course they weren't playing in the orange bowl or the sugar bowl or the big games, but still four and oh in bowl games and a, a notable alumnus from, uh, West Texas state, not counting the pro wrestlers. He played for the Miami dolphins in the seventies, Mercury Morris. He was a pro bowl running back. He was part of the famed, and I'm sure, of course, Ryan is sick of hearing about it, the famed undefeated 1972 Dolphins team. I, I'm sick of hearing about it and have been for a long time. Pop champagne every time uh, the most recent undefeated yeah. team loses. He pops that champagne. His relevancy yeah. is is lasting. Yeah, it's so obnoxious. I and yeah, yeah. I won't bring up how close the Patriots came to ending that, oh. uh, but I just did. But what anyway, <laughs> hopefully the Eagles in the future will be the team to finally uh, end that uh, run and have an undefeated season. Anyway, so yeah, Mercury Morris. There's a, 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 a fair amount of players made it to the NFL, but I'd say Mercury Morris was the most uh, famous of them all as far as what he did in the NFL. Uh, they've been in Division Two since 1986 
And they were actually renamed West Texas A&M in 1993. And that's the name they go by to this day. So, yeah, they're not. It, it's kind of confusing because, you know, the year you hear the wrestlers always talk about West Texas State, but it technically technically doesn't exist in that with that name and hasn't for 30 years. But uh, anyway, so, yeah, that's a little bit of background on on the program, on the college. And we're going to go right into the wrestlers first with the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, baby. And there he is at the top of uh, the mountain with the NWA title. I'd say probably in 1980, 81, or, yeah, no, 81 or 79. Those were the two times he had it with that belt. So uh, Dusty was born Virgil Runnels, October 11th, 1945. And uh, I'm going to list his playing weight at 230 pounds. I'm not 100% sure about that, of course. Um, It's hard. You have their football weight, and then you kind of have to – or their wrestling weight, and then you kind of have to subtract about 40 or 50 pounds from that to come up with their football weight because it's usually not listed anywhere. And he was 6'2", so he's a big boy. And now we have our first center, Ryan, because that was what he was mostly mostly known for. Uh, and in this picture right here shows him hiking the ball, playing center. I think that's maybe even from his high school days, that photo. Yeah, yeah very, very young. Very young. Um, and yeah, he only played at West Texas, I think, for at most two years, maybe just one, because I was the only... Uh, Thing I could find online that actually went into like his college years was that he went, attended two previous colleges, uh, obscure ones, and then went to West Texas. So he obviously wasn't there for a full four years, but I'm not sure um, how many years, and I'm not sure the exact years. So I had mid 60s with a question mark. It have, has to be like 65, 66 in that area, um, because as we see here, after he was done at West Texas, he tried out for the Boston Patriots. Now, your beloved New England Patriots. This was around 1966-67. And he played for the Hartford Charter Oaks. That's a mouthful. Uh, for the Continental Football League. So yet another obscure uh, minor league, obscure football league. Um, and this was 1966-67. to 67. Um, but even then, I'm not sure if he played two years or just one year. So that was as close as he got to the big time in professional football. And it was around that time, 66, 67, that he started wrestling professionally. And he was actually trained by Joe Blanchard, um, who we're going to talk about later, of course, and uh, had ties to uh, football himself. Uh, and that's a very young uh, picture of Dusty as a wrestler. God, that must have been right when he first started. So yeah, uh, I thought that was a great picture, similar to the Bill Watts picture we had last time out. You can and, see his little his little belly's trying to start to poke out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it didn't take long. I I don't know if the splotch is there yet. I think it maybe is. Yeah, I think I see a little bit on it, the side. It, it's starting. Yeah, it's on his left side. So yeah, yeah, I, yeah, it's there. It's not as pronounced as it would be later on. So yeah, he started in 1967. And was, you know, rose up the ranks of wrestling uh, pretty quickly. He was a main eventer by the end of the 60s or beginning of the 70s in a tag team with Dick Murdoch anyway. Mm-hmm. And was one of the biggest wrestling stars in history uh, and wrestled up into the 1990s and maybe even into 2000. I'm not sure about that. ECW, maybe even TNA. Did he wrestle in TNA? 
Yeah, it sounds like I, I believe he wrestled a little bit. He even wrestled a little bit in the WWE. He wrestled Randy Orton in a. In a oh yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, the right when Cody first started. Two thousand seven, two thousand. I think you're. Two thousand seven, Great American Bash, I believe. Correct, Dusty, and he passed away June eleventh, two thousand fifteen. Time flies. It's been already eight plus years since then. But yeah, Dusty, uh, and there we go. I f- love that picture. It's a great um, picture. The shirt, everybody's somebody in Luckenbach, Luckenbach, I think it is. I think it's a it's a town in Texas. I looked that up. Yeah, Lucken Luckenbach, I think. Um, a German name. And uh there's Terry Funk, another West Texas State alum with his famous Dusty Sucks Eggs shirt. This would have you, been, I'm not sure where it was. Do you but, recall uh, the year on the shirt? Um I would say that the year was from probably like 1980-81, I think. Cool. Uh, they had a big, that was like the peak of their feud. They wrestled, of course, a million times over the years. Yeah. But they had a the, the feud with the Dusty Sucks Egg shirt, I think, is from 1980, 79-80-81 in that range. Um, so, yeah, that's Dusty Rhodes. All right, Kelly, Dory Funk Jr. Great wrestling star, as you see here, with the NWA title and also a West Texas State uh, team jacket. So you got both mm-hmm. there, number 77. Born February 3rd, 1941. And I've got him at six foot two, 220 pounds. So close to Dusty, really. Um, he played defensive end and offensive tackle, both. Um, I'm not sure if he uh, was more one or the other or if he he played them both equally. But anyway, he went to West Texas State from approximately 1959 to 1962. I'm not sure if he did the four full years, but 1962 was definitely his last. And um, if you remember in the 80s, when he comes to the WWF, he wrestles as Hoss Funk, not Dory Funk Jr. So a lot of people... At the time, including my buddy Johnny Sorrow, thought it was, you know, one of Vince's typical sort of, oh, I got to rebrand this guy and give him a name that I came up with. But it was actually a name that uh, a nickname that Dory already had. So it wasn't uh, we can't blame Vince for that one. So he played. I mentioned the 1962 team. The 1962 West Texas State team is maybe their most uh, famed team, most uh, revered team. They went to the Sun Bowl. And they won that game 15 to 14 in a squeaker over Ohio University. And they finished the year with a nine and two record. So, yeah, one of their best years, big bowl win. And, uh, yeah, like I mentioned before, West Texas State was four and oh in bowl games. I think they won the Sun Bowl a couple times, uh, maybe even three times. And then, because that was a local, that was a Texas uh, bowl game. And then they were in the junior. Rose Bowl. <laughs> Back in the day, there was a, a, a junior Rose Bowl and a senior Rose Bowl, although I, they didn't refer to the main Rose Bowl as the senior Rose Bowl, but there was actually a junior Rose Bowl too. Yeah. And so here we see him back in 77, diving action shot here. And yeah, so he he never tried out for the pros as far as I know. He went straight into wrestling pretty much the day after almost that he was done football. He started in 1963. 
um, and wrestled all the way to 2018. Although in the last 30 or so years of that, he, he was just, you know, occasionally wrestling, but still very impressive that he's still getting in the ring, you know, well into his seventies. And in that picture, this is when he was the NWA champion. And this was in Calgary at the stampede. Cause that's when uh stampede wrestling would get uh, the stampede or would get the NWA champion almost every year. Cause the show they held during the Calgary stampede, which for those who don't know is a big exhibition, um, like a big fair for a week long. It's, it's the, the big event of the year on the calendar for Calgary and the biggest wrestling show of the year would be held during the, the stampede. So there's uh Dory on the right and on the left in the other cowboy hat is prime minister, Pierre Trudeau, the father of current Canadian prime minister, Justin Trudeau and, and Pierre himself was prime minister for a million years. <laughs> um, but anyway, I, I thought I'd throw in that photo um, Dory with magnificent sideburns at that time. Uh, Pierre's sideburns were, were not too bad them, themselves. I'm guessing that's around 1970 or so, 71, when he was the NWA champion. He had a nice four-year run as NWA champion um, and was a top draw the whole time. A lot of people say, oh, Dory was boring compared to his brother, you know, technical wrestler. But he was a great draw as champ. And, uh, and yeah, like you can't... Uh, discount his drawing power and he, he was a great wrestler too major wrestling star in the 60s 70s and 80s and yeah that's dory funk for you Ariba, Kelly, tell us about one of my favorites and yours too, Tito Santana. Oh, yeah, yeah. Longtime favorite of mine, Tito Santana. He was born Merced Solis, May 10th, 1953. And yet again, he, uh, for the third wrestler in a row, was six foot two. And he weighed 210 pounds approximately as a football player. And he went to West Texas from 1972 to 1974. I'm not sure as a freshman, maybe he went somewhere else, but I, I couldn't find info on that. And he was a tight end at West Texas and there, it's barely recognizable there. I believe that is a photo from when he was at West Texas. Um, looks like a principal there. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, he would end up uh, becoming a teacher. So That's yeah, he's got, he's got the teacher look <laughs> right there already down pat. But he would, uh, of course, take a 20 or so year uh, sojourn in professional wrestling first before um, getting into teaching. So, uh, yeah, like I said, West Texas, 1972 to 74. I do have his stats here from uh, from college football reference, just to give you an idea of what kind of player he was. Uh, let's see. His first year there, he had 11 catches for 161 yards. Second year, 35 catches for 499 yards, zero touchdowns the first two years. But in his last year there, he had five touchdowns with 20 catches and 288 yards. Of course, back then and even today and with a lot of uh, college programs, they don't throw the ball that I think he was drafted in 1975, but he was cut during training camp. 
And then he went to Vancouver, uh, close to where I live, and played for the BC Lions, BC standing for British Columbia, for those non-Canadians out there. And he played for the BC Lions in the CFL during the 1976 season. And that picture right there is from his time with the BC Lions, uh, number 72. And yeah, I mean, what a what a good-looking young man at that time. He was, uh, you know, he was only there for a year, but uh, he made an impact. Uh, a lot of people from that time that were fans of the team uh, do remember Merced Solis um, on the team in 1976. But like all the others, their calling would eventually be professional wrestling. He got into it right after the 76 season and wrestled from 1977 to 2022. He wrestled last year. So he's still wow. got some, still got some, uh, some matches in him apparently. Uh, but he hasn't wrestled this year as far as I know. So there you see him with uh, Paul Orendorf during uh, his days as the Intercontinental Champion in the 1980s in the WWF. Of course, he was a top star, you know, in the 80s especially, but he had good runs in other territories, um, in the AWA, in Georgia, Mid-South. Um, and there he is with the IC belts in the 80s. Yeah, when I got into wrestling in 1986, he was one of the first guys I really gravitated towards, um, even though he was just starting his his downswing at that time. Mm. Uh, he had just lost the IC belt a few months before I started watching regularly to Randy Savage. But then he would have the tag run with uh, Martell and Strikeforce, and they had a had uh, the tag straps for a while. So that was really cool. That that watching that match on TV was a major highlight of my young uh, fandom. So yeah, Tito. Uh, Solid football player, but a great professional wrestler. Tully Blanchard. Tell us a little bit about Tully. Okay, Tully Blanchard. Um, we've yeah hinted at him before, and we left him in the main event spot for one reason only because we finally have our quarterback of uh, Ryan. And this may be the only quarterback <laughs> that we talk about for this whole series, but we'll see. Anyway, Tully was born January 22nd, 1954. And he's finally, um, we finally have a non six foot two guy. He was five foot 10 and only 200 pounds um, at most as a, as a football player. So he was, he was, you know, even by the standards of the time, that wasn't that big. But like I said, he was a quarterback at West Texas, um, number 18. And his father, Joe Blanchard, was a, uh, was a pretty uh, well-known football player himself. He, Joe Blanchard, went, went to Kansas State. So, you know, not a bad, uh, yeah, you know, they're, they're in, back then they would have been in, I don't know what it was called. I don't think it was the Big Eight yet, but it may have been. But anyway, in the mix with with top teams. So Joe, his father, went there. And then Joe Blanchard went and played three years in the CFL. And we're going to be talking about this um, in a couple months. He played for the Edmonton Eskimos in the CFL. And he also played for my hometown, Calgary Stampeders. And Tully was actually born in Calgary uh, when uh, Joe played for um, the Stampeders. Uh, so he was uh, born in Canada, but of course, right after that, um, 
by the time Tully could remember anything, he was gone from Calgary and they were down in Texas. And Joe became at first a, a star pro wrestler. And then eventually Joe became a top promoter and eventually the promoter of the Southwest territory, the San Antonio territory in Texas. So yeah, Tully came from a double lineage. He came from his father's football lineage and also his father's wrestling lineage and followed his father, um, his father in his footsteps is followed or followed in his father's footsteps in two different respects, football and wrestling. So yes, back to football, West Texas state, 1974 to 1976. Apparently he was uh, signed to go to uh, SMU, which is also, you know, like Kansas state, a step above West Texas. SMU had some pretty big years um, in the seventies and the eighties. Anyway, uh, Tully did uh, go there first in 1972, but he never played for them. He was a freshman and didn't get on the, or he didn't get a chance to see any action at all. So he left SMU after 1972, had a sort of a lost year in 1973, and then went to West Texas 74 to 76, where he was their starting quarterback for three straight years. And I'll look into his stats here. Uh, the passing stats are not impressive <laughs> by <laughs> our standards and not probably maybe really by their the standards of the time either. Um, he was used, I mean, I think West Texas was definitely a very much a run first school. He did pretty good as a, as a runner. He had, you know, a 261 yard season, 345, his second year with four touchdowns rushing. 336 his final year with four touchdowns rushing his passing numbers are, are pretty grisly though we're talking like 33 percent completion percentage in 1975 to go with uh four touchdown passes and 11 interceptions oh uh, his fine his, his final year is arguably even worse 34.9 percent uh completion percentage with four touchdown passes again but this time for uh, 15 interceptions. So, you know, back then, if you look at the stats from college and from pro uh, got quarterbacks, even the best quarterbacks had high interception numbers. Um, Cause there was a lot of like wild, you know, throw up hail Mary miracle stuff. In oh, the had route concepts and it's just, yeah. And there wasn't the check the downs. Yeah. They didn't do check downs or the West coast offense hadn't been invented yet. So you didn't throw to the running back as much. So yeah, you're always, if you're throwing it, you were throwing it down the field, 20, 30 yards uh, and, and crazy stuff could happen. Anyway, we've come a long way uh, in the passing in, in regards to passing in football, but yeah, Tully, like I said, three year starter. So that's nothing to steeze at at quarterback. And uh, yeah, he got into wrestling. He actually started wrestling while he was uh, in his senior year. No, I think he football for once Texas State because it has the Blanchard no armchair QB and it goes into the the text. If you could read it says, you know, West Texas State quarterback Tully Blanchard is wrestling during the offseason. So that's when he was very young. So, yeah, you know, like I said, he fathered, followed his father's footsteps into football and wrestling and he became, you know, a pretty big star uh, first regionally in Texas in the late 70s. And then in the 80s, he became one of the top stars of the decade. Here he is with Baby Doll. This is like prime Tully 
1985 with the U.S. title. You know, nobody held a belt better than Tully Blanchard. Um, Peter Winson once, uh, that was a quote from Peter Winson on Greetings from Allentown back in the day, but it's true. Um, even better than Flair, I would say. Tully was was great at just holding the belt like that during promos. Um, yeah, big star in the 80s, but his career kind of came to an abrupt end around 1989 when um, he was done in the WWF and uh, yeah, didn't go anywhere really and and just vanished. But he's made a return in the last three or four years with AEW. And he's even wrestled a, a few matches um, in recent years. So yeah, he, he had a nice comeback after quite a few years away from pro wrestling. But yeah, that's uh, that's Tully. That's our QB, man. Finally got one. That's a pretty big four. Let's hit some audible mentions before we jump into some of our stats. Yeah, I could have went with four different guys of equal you know, mm-hmm. pro wrestling stardom because yeah, the, the guys who went to West Texas state went into wrestling. It, it's a legendary list. Um, starting with Stan Hansen, Stan, the Lariat Hansen, Bruiser Brody, longtime partners with Stan Hansen. Uh, they both went to West Texas state. Bobby Duncan senior uh, went to West Texas state. He played in the NFL for the St. Louis Cardinals. So he was quite a, quite a player. Ted DiBiase, of course, mm-hmm. played for West Texas probably around the same time as Tito Santana and, and uh, Tully Blanchard, actually. Manny Fernandez, uh, the Raging Bull, uh, played for West Texas. Um, there's some controversy with that. A lot of people think that when Manny Fernandez says he played football, that he that he's lying and that he was... Uh, trying to make people think he was the Manny Fernandez that played for the Miami Dolphins in the 70s uh, and was actually a pretty good football player. But no, I mean, Manny didn't play in the NFL, but he did play play college football, so it wasn't a total lie. And then, of course, we have Terry Funk, um, recently passed away, his brother, they were, they were both on the team. And yeah, so, you know, that's that's a very impressive list of names. And, you know, it dried up once he got into the 80s and and the program itself uh, went down a notch, too, and didn't produce um, wrestlers anymore. But in their heyday in the 60s and 70s, they turned out a ton of guys that went on to be main event pro wrestlers. So, yeah, that's that's it for uh, the wrestling or the football portion of this episode. I'll just go over my references quickly. Uh, wrestling data, of course, again, uh, the books, Heroes and Icons and the Heels from ECW Press, uh, of course, college and pro football reference. And then for today's episode, I used helmethut.com, gobuffsgo.com, and then a, a little dash of Wikipedia as usual. And next time we're moving on, we're moving up north, north of the border to my home country of Canada. We're going to be talking about the CFL the first of two CFL episodes or CFL centric episodes just in time. Actually, I think, unfortunately the gray cup game, the the big championship game for the CFL will be over by the time we get to the first CFL episode. It'll be just, I think a few days before that, but anyway, close enough uh, next time CFL. So yeah, let's go into the, the ongoing roster construct. Kelly, we're going to have to perhaps Dip back into the West Texas on our depth chart if we need position filled because it looks like we would That's have a no good idea. With that. 
Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. I'll have to check out. I didn't check the positions really. I, I think DiBiase played on the D-line, but I'm not sure. And Terry Funk too, maybe. But anyway, we'll go back. Uh, we'll return we'll, to that at a later we'll date. We'll meet them. So we'll go. But when that time comes back, I think we know where to, what episode to circle back on to get some extra guys for our depth chart. But speaking of our mm -hmm. depth chart, Kelly, let's take a quick look at what we got for this episode and let's add to it. Three episodes in now. All right, Kelly, here we go at the bottom. Let's start with the defense. Dory Funk Jr. We had him at defensive end and offensive tackle. You emphasize you weren't sure which mm -hmm. he was more suited for, but I figured let's throw him here on the defensive end because I feel mm -hmm. like offensive tackle was going to fill up rather quickly, but we can always move him to offensive tackle if we throw in, say, his brother on the D-line and DiBiase in the later mm -hmm. episode. But for now, I say mm -hmm. we throw him at the end and uh, we'll revisit that later. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think Haas is versatile. He could he could do both. And this one's easy. Dusty Rhodes, he's our center. It's going to yeah. be hard to take him out. I'm not sure how much yeah. of a center he was in real life, but he uh, <laughs> he's kind of to the center of our heart fandom-wise. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So he's going to be a tough one to take away from the, as our starting center. Yeah. And let's get another easy one here. Tully Branchard, he's our quarterback. He kind of alluded to he might he might be our quarterback for good, but – he needs to clean up that 14 and 15 interception season. <laughs> before we start chucking the ball around. Yeah, yeah. We're going to probably be running the ball. With Bronco and Gus in the backfield, though, we may not need to pass the ball too often. But especially with these two tight ends that we have, we're going to have a lot. We're going to have D-gaps. We're going to have D-gap runs here. Really stretching the wall here. We're going to run outside zone maybe perhaps. I don't know if outside zone was invented with all these guys. They seem like they <laughs> ran a lot of wing T and double – Double wing, which is just gap slam the ball down your throat type of games. But uh, that's where we're at here. I think Tito's our number one tight end, just out of respect yeah. for Ariba. And uh, he, he, you yeah. know, he had a tryout in the NFL, too. Who, what team was it? Was it Buffalo, you said? Uh, Kansas City. Kansas City. Kansas City. That's exactly right. So, you know, I think we could we always sneak Orndorff over if there's another tight end. But I think this is good yeah. for now. What do you say? Yeah, and Orndorf was a fullback first, and and was only like begrudgingly went to tight end at oh, the that's end. Right, yeah. So so Tito's the more natural tight end. Cool, but I feel like we're gonna have two or three. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of the same position. Uh, we'll see if there's any like true wide receivers. I'm not sure. I haven't come across any yet. And then our secondary so far is completely barren. We don't even have linebackers yet. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, there's no linebackers. <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, Ron Simmons' Heisman ass is going to have to carry our defense. So, <laughs> yeah, the defense is one up front. So that's a good start. Let's take a quick look at our match recommendations here. So, last episode, we had Pete as our special guest ranker or recommendator. And then this episode, I got my friend Sean Kidd. Sean has a new podcast here on the No Sode audio feed where he uh just dives into pacific territories per episode and uh he kind of he's an old crock and roll kind of guy so he kind of mm -hmm. took crock and roll and kind of morphed it into territories i know we did one about terry yeah. funk when terry funk passed. Uh, sean's a great guy and all right let's start with the first recommended match here from sean it is dusty Rhodes versus nick bockwinkle a singles match for the awa world heavyweight championship on may 20th 1983 for Houston wrestling at the Sam Houston Coliseum in Houston, Texas, an 11 minute match that I went along with Sean three and a quarter stars. Kelly, did you happen to watch any of Sean's recommendations or are you yeah. familiar with them? 
No, I, I watched them all. I don't think, I think I maybe had seen this one before, but the other ones I don't think I'd seen before. Um, oh, uh, Tully and, and Kernod will know I've seen that actually too. But anyway, yeah, this one was interesting because it was a rare time that Dusty challenged for the AWA World Championship. Uh, this happened in Houston where you'd have these uh, unique meetings because Houston was a, a city where you got guys from different territories coming in, even sometimes from New York coming in for Paul Bosch. So you had these dream matches. So this is definitely a dream match because I don't think Dusty and Nick Bockwinkle uh, wrestled too many times. I went three and a half on this one. I don't do quarter stars. So maybe I would have went through, uh, the same as you guys, three and a quarter. I went three and a half. The finish was a little wonky. Dusty got busted open, I guess, by DiBiase right at the end with yeah, the interference. Late. He was also bleeding on the top mm -hmm. of his head. Uh, I'm yes. not sure if that was, I guess that must have been accidental because I don't know why you'd blade the top of your head. But who knows? Dusty. Is, it was a blade master, so maybe he was doing some 4D chess blade <laughs> blading. Um, but yeah, a fun match. But it was yeah, it was short and 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 went to a pretty pretty quick finish. And you knew with Dusty, he wasn't going to do like a. I mean, he was pinned, uh, mm -hmm. which was was rare even Ooh. with the interference. But it was, uh, a weird, it was a weird sequence at the end, kind of put like a little sour taste in my, like, I thought the match was good. You know, three stars yeah. are a good match. Three and a half is very good. I'm yeah. somewhere in the middle there. So three and a quarter. Um, I just thought it was weird or he laid down for the three and then he like instantly got up and got on him and to get his heat, to get the heat back. So it was yeah. just like, it was just like, eh. Uh, yeah. It yeah. And it was clearly building to a feud with uh, Teddy Biasi that funny enough would they'd uh, do uh, that again in the WWF um, seven years later or so. But uh, I wasn't aware of this feud. Uh, it'd be interesting to see those, those matches, if any of them are out there on tape. Yes. And the second Dusty match here is Dusty Rhodes versus Superstar Billy Graham, a Texas death match for the WWF championship on October 24th, 1977 from Madison Square Garden from New York, New York. 11 minutes and 14 seconds that I went three and a half stars, Kelly. Yeah, I went four on this one. I, it's okay. a personal favorite of mine. So that kind of bumps it up. I love this era of WWWF. I love matches from MSG from this era. I love uh, superstar Billy Graham's title reign. Mm -hmm. uh, the crowd heat is amazing. Uh, him and Dusty had great chemistry. They, this was the second match. They had a match the month before. That is also worth watching and so this is a rematch texas death match was the one of the top um uh gimmick matches in the wwf where it was basically just a no disqualification no match. match yeah, yeah it, it wasn't the the true texas death match from texas where it was you kept having falls until somebody couldn't answer the bell but still this was bloody um a rope gets pulled out from under the ring and used um, a in the middle of the match yeah <laughs> Yeah, it, it's just a super fun match. Great brawl. Yeah, great brawl. Uh, yeah, everyone should what see Superstars match. better matches, perhaps, right? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I mean, Superstars definitely, this era of Superstars definitely underrated because he yeah. had his matches with Bruno. I'd say actually his best match is against Bruno from a couple months before this, which is a, a double a double juice bloodbath between the two of them. But yeah, him and Dusty had great matches. Um, yeah, uh, this the whole reign. If you watch, if you have like a, I don't, we don't do comps anymore. 
or there may be as a comp out there back in the DVD days. If someone made a comp of uh, superstar Billy Graham's uh, run as champion in New York, that would that's a great watch because there's so many cool matches on it. So, yeah, we're in the midst of the prime run of superstar Billy Graham here. Yes. Yeah. Sean recommended Dory Funk versus Barry Windham, a singles match, which was a 20-minute TV time for the NWA Western State Heritage Championship, November 14th. 1987 from CWF championship wrestling from Florida and Saratoga, Florida, 16 minutes and 41 seconds with the commercial breaks that I went three and three quarter stars. This is my favorite match out of the whole collection of matches. Yeah, I, I could, I, I may agree with you on that one, Ryan. I went four stars on it. I'd never seen this before. It was an excellent match. Barry Windham was so good at this time. But uh, Dory really brought it. The, the, the two of them were just slugging it out right from the opening bell. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if Sean uh, picked this match on purpose because of the, the title that was involved. The Western States Heritage Championship, yeah. a long forgotten title. I had to check Wikipedia because I couldn't remember the, the story behind it. I know I'd, I'd heard about it before, but it was actually a homage to the old Amarillo, Texas title, which was the Western States title. So that's West Texas. It all ties together. So I don't know if Sean did that on purpose, but it's cool that uh, this match was for that belt. And, but it was in Florida. (laughs) Um, This was a weird time. Florida had been acquired by uh, Crockett by this point. So it was, they were all under the same umbrella. And I don't think they would run um, like championship wrestling from Florida. I don't think that existed too much longer after this because I was surprised at, at the late date uh, here. But yeah, this was a great match. Time limit draw, but I mean, it, I, I wasn't disappointed at the ending. Um, I think it added to the suspense of the match, which, you know what I mean? The, the, the whole exactly. time limit stuff added to the drama, yeah. and added to the urgency and everything. I thought it was great. Yeah. I, honestly, one of the best... Well, Sean is a... Barry Windham mark just uh, that might have to do a lot with it too but um yeah one of the best Dory Funk matches I've ever seen not that I've mm-hmm. seen a lot of them you alluded mm-hmm. to earlier that he's a little boring so to speak I didn't think he was well that's, no he was excellent but he also was in with a young whippersnapper in his prime right there too yeah like Dory has the boring rep I don't think it's it's warranted at all but that's often the rep he had but no, this, yeah, like you said, this, yeah, for me, it's one of the better Dory matches I've ever seen too. Uh, great. Uh, and Barry Windham at this time was so good. This was before the injuries started to pile up and he was, he was just, just one of the best wrestlers in the world at this point. So yeah, this is a great match. Everyone should see it. Your recommendation for Dory Funk Jr. is versus Gene Kaniski is a singles match for the NWA championship on February 11th, 1969 from CWF again, championship wrestling for Florida. This time in Tampa, we saw th- three minutes and 46 <laughs> seconds of a 27-minute match. Okay. And I rated it as pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. We really saw some clips, but it was cool to see the clips. Yeah, I gave it a not, not applicable rating. Yeah. Uh, I picked it just for the historical significance. It's Absolutely. it's the night that Dory won the, the NWA title. So, of course, like the biggest night of his career. Back in those days, title. Uh, switches were very rare. I believe Kaniski had been the champion for three straight years at this point. And then Dory Funk Jr., like I said earlier, would have a four-year run. 
So this was the only NWA title switch in a seven-year span, which is crazy. What do you mean by a, a rolling top-legged roll or whatever? Well, I forget. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, we had Gordon Soley, a young, a young-ish Gordon Soley, pre-glasses Gordon Soley here narrating the match. Um, yeah, I was wondering how long it went. So 27 minutes in total. That's yeah, yeah. I thought it may have even been longer, but yeah. Um, yeah, what we saw there wasn't yeah much to judge. Gene Kaniski, he's from Canada. We're going to be talking about him on a future episode because he played in the CFL. And yeah, uh, just a cool bit of history, I thought, to uh, throw in there. No, absolutely, for sure. Gordy did say it was a 27-minute <laughs> bout, bout, so that's why mm. I put it there. All right, okay. Sean, just like you and I, a big Tito Santana mark here. He is also yeah. a Butch Reed mark. T Tito Santana versus Butch Reed. A singles match from January 13th, 1984 from Houston Wrestling from Houston, Texas. 17 minutes and 30 seconds. I went three and a half stars. A typical Tito's match. And it was interesting to see Butch Reed here. Uh, I thought he sold really well for all of Tito's stuff. And they just meshed super well. Yeah, these guys have good chemistry. Um, there's a match in WWF. A few, and I went four stars on it too. I was throwing out the fours like uh, crazy today. No, no, um, no three quarters or quarters. So you got to go one or the other. Yeah, exactly. This, yeah, this would have fell, I guess, probably more in the three and three quarter range for me. Maybe I should start. I always say this. I should start using quarters, but whatever. Um, for it's, it's. I mean, it's it's a great match. They, they went um, all out. Uh, the finish was great. We got a clean finish, which was kind of surprising because at this time with two top wrestlers, there was often some sort of um screwy finish so this was cool to get a clean finish tito was great it was interesting the date on this tito was uh back in the wwf by this point and only weeks away from beating don morocco for his yeah. first ic title so it was interesting that he was still doing shots in houston at this time so yeah i and butch reads super underrated we've looked at him now a couple times in matches with mm -hmm. doom previously and he was a football player i think he had a cup of coffee in the NFL, if I'm not mistaken, um, probably kind of like Orndorff did, you know, on the practice squad or whatever. But anyway, he, he was a football um, player as well. Hopefully he was a defensive back and we can call his number. number yeah, we'll have to look him up. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he was played. Maybe he was even a safety or a cornerback or something. There is a defensive back that I can easily put on the list, but we'll have to wait yeah. till the end to find that one out. Okay. All right, Kelly. Uh, the other match here, your recommendation for Tito is Tito versus his biggest rival, Greg the Hammer Valentine, a singles match from for the Intercontinental Championship on October 22nd, 1984, Madison Square Garden, New York, New York, five minutes and 53 seconds. And I went three and a half stars. Um, I typically go three and a half with all of these matches because the, it is so goddamn intense. It was the match mm -hmm. was just so awesome. I think the floor is three and a half. Or really, and then yeah. the ceiling's like four, four and a quarter. But they mm -hmm. just never, ever, ever have a clean finish until they blow off to start the feud and then mm -hmm. to blow off the feud. So it's that's kind of a trope for nowadays. But man, was this intense! And this New York crowd was eating this up, man. They yes. wanted it. They when they when the uh, when the Fink announced him from, from Toledo, Mexico, the fucking place blew up. Yeah. And uh, I thought this was one of better Tito's one of Tito's better interviews pre-match with Gene too, as he kind of right. just 
really emphasized his fire and his hunger to get that intercontinental championship back as he just previously lost it to, I believe, uh, or a month or so, whatever. Yeah. This was a great one. Yeah, it was probably about a month before this that he lost it. It's kind of weird because they the the whole thing was that he hurt his knee mm-hmm. um, in a match of the previous uh, encounter at Madison Square Garden before these with these two guys uh, in August of '84 ended with Tito uh, hurting his knee, um, retaining the title but leaving with a you know limp, and and then it went on to that they wrestled on TV in September and Tito could barely walk at that point. And then Valentine beat him quickly in that match. And then supposedly Tito had knee surgery, uh, but was miraculously able to come back for um, October 22nd. <laughs> it took like three weeks of rehab and he was back. But anyway, this was the the mat- first match back after the knee injury. So yeah, the crowd was super hot. They had two previous matches at MSG. This is one of the great uh, series of all time. Uh, so this is the third match. They would have three more matches in the future at MSG, including a lumberjack match mm-hmm. just a couple of weeks before wrestle, the first WrestleMania. And then actually the blow off, the final blow off is in Baltimore. In yeah, a cage not match. until June. Yes. Yeah. Um, when it seemed like there was no chance Tito was getting the belt back, uh, but he did. And the, the, that match is amazing. Yeah. And like the crowd heat for that one's amazing. The crowd heat for all the matches is amazing. This match, yeah, I went three and a half to. It's one of my favorites, uh, and it's I picked it also because it's on the shorter side, and it's just a hot brawl right from the get-go. There's no pretense, really, to to wrestling. Um, the match they have the next month I, is maybe the best of them all, the November 84 MSG match, uh, besides yeah. the cage match. Um, yeah. but also I like the, January, yeah. I like January 85, but honestly. Yeah, January 85 is good, too. Yeah, but yeah, you can't excellent. go wrong. Even the yeah. first one in, I think, June of 84 is really good, too. Like they were just, yeah, it was amazing chemistry between these two guys. Uh, one of my all-time favorite feuds, just a classic of the eighties, uh, a classic of, of WWF from the eighties. Yeah. Great match. And then Valentine breaks the belt in, in the cage when he loses yes. it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's the perfect end to it. Yeah. And then, and then years, years, years later, Tito's wife would throw away that that green intercontinental championship in the dumpster, and well, <laughs> the belt collectors are still sobbing about it. I am too. That's, oh. that's, that's epic history that she threw away in a dumpster. Oh, oh really? I, I've never heard that before. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. All right, our last wrestler here is our quarterback, Tully Blanchard. Yeah. John's recommendation was Tully Blanchard versus Don Canudo, a singles match for the NWA World Television Championship, May eleventh, nineteen eighty five. NWA worldwide in Atlanta, Georgia, 11 minutes, 28 seconds. I went three and a half. This was my favorite match. I said that Dory Funk and Wyndham was the best match. This was my absolute favorite match to watch in this eight match series. And that's including Tito Santana and Greg Valentine that we just gushed about. And there's a a glutton of of very Mm -hmm. good matches here. But I think this was my most fun watch. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked it too. I, I probably, I went three and a half stars. I probably would have went higher on it if this was the first time I saw it, but I did just see this not too long ago, but yeah, it's great. It's like such an awesome performance by Tully uh, just getting beaten oh. from pillar to post the whole time. Uh, so many near falls. Uh, the crowd is super hot. Like what Don Cronodal comes Don off Cronodal. as, <laughs> yeah. Like one of the biggest baby faces at the time comes off as one of the biggest baby faces 
at the time, but the crowd in, in the Carolinas, he was uh, very highly regarded because he had a long heel run with Sergeant Slaughter uh, that produced such great matches. And then he had a big face turn where the Russians turned on him. So yeah, he was, he was uh, actually probably at the peak of his uh, baby face uh, powers at this time. Yeah. Very, very good match. Uh, I I would knock it down just because the finish uh, yeah, wasn't conclusive. Yeah. yeah, but it was a TV match, so you weren't going to get a a clean finish because they everything was building towards the the big house shows. But still, uh, one of the best matches uh, that we've seen on on the worldwide shows for sure. But yeah, the the chemistry between these two and really Tully out there having a hell of a day in the in ring. Yeah, your recommendation here is Tully Blanchard versus Eric Embry, a singles match for the Southwest heavyweight championship january 31st 1983 from scw san antonio texas six minutes 19 seconds i went three stars i thought it was good it was a gusher it was um a pretty cool story i i mm-hmm. not really watched much of this territory if no. any but i thought yeah. telly was also great in this match until he gained control and then just absolute beat the shit out of emery Towards the end, I like the story where he was just trying to prove a point. I like the story of him uh, having the 30 days. They did the uh, interview with, yes. who, with who was Bob's, it? Bob Sweetan. Bob Sweetan. Yes. So this was the 30th day he needed to yes. defend the championship. And he made a call to the NWA president at the time. And they gave him the okay to, 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 uh, to go out there and have a match tonight. And it li- there he was, Eric Embry. And who was in the ring? Um, he paid off someone. I uh, the grappler. Yeah, the, the grappler. grappler. Excuse yeah. me. He paid off the grappler. The grappler mm-hmm. took the cash. And uh, I like how Embry had his hope spots. But o- overall, Tully wanted to prove a point. He Tully yeah. was great in those hope spots on the defense. But he was even better as a malicious heel trying to prove the champ why he is the world championship of this territory. It was a cool little angle. It was a fun match. In actually, I thought it dragged a little for six minutes, but overall, I thought it was good. Yeah, well, I, I wanted to get something like an obscure Tully match, and and one from his father's promotion. This was his yeah. father's promotion, uh, South or um, yeah, Southwest Championship Wrestling, and so I found this. And 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 in the title, you had bloody, so <laughs> that attracted me to it as well. A lot of your matches have blood in it. I was going I mean, to bring I, that up. I'm a vampire. I admit it. <laughs> I, I I blood always uh, uh, pumps it up for me, makes the match more fun to watch, more exciting. Um, and I'd, I'd never seen this before, and it was a great, another great performance by Tully. In the yes. previous match, it was him, like I said, getting b- battered from pillar to post. Here was him being the total dick scumbag heel that wouldn't pin Embry, even though Embry was done and bloody and in, in serious trouble, but he kept pulling him up. Yeah. They, so with this match, this video, you get the, the, the story of the feud with him and Bob Sweetan. Sweetan yeah. was a local uh, babyface hero kind of, I don't know too much about him. I've heard some, some nasty things about him. So anyway, um, um Personal his stuff. yeah like you said the story was tully had won the belt on new year's day i guess it was but he hadn't defended it the whole month so he, it would have been a strip for him according to sweet Anne. so yeah you get this uh hastily put together match with embry and then yeah it's just tully because uh, sweet hands at ringside he's just being a total dick um 
Ambry, yeah, like an all-time great uh, bloodbath or bloody uh, crimson mask from Embry here. And yeah, it's um, it's 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 an angle more than a match. I went three and a half on it. Um, uh, yeah, it was it was just a great heel performance by Tully, and and great. I haven't seen too much from this territory either. Um, I know there's some really good matches out there if you can track them down. And they had an interesting collection of guys at the time. Um, Adrian Adonis was there. Luthez was the the commissioner or the figurehead president or whatever. It was was interesting. Uh, anyway, yeah. So what a what a selection of matches that we've gone through. Some great matches so far. Thanks again to Sean for recommending some awesome yeah. matches. Thanks, Sean. Uh, his uh, his podcast is called, yeah territorial. He, his third episode. He's on his fourth episode, his third episode with Mr. Wrestling 2 in Magum TA versus the Midnight Express. I know his first oh, wow. episode was on Terry Funk, and uh, he is every other Friday here on the No So. So check oh, him great. out for sure. He, Sean does a yeah. great job. Sean is a great guy. And again, thank you for, for uh, your recommendation, Sean. Yeah, that sounds great. I'm going to have to check that out. All right, Kelly, we're almost in the books. We're mm-hmm. done, dusted, and delivered here. But Give me a quick few seconds on your six and one Philadelphia Eagles coming off a big <laughs> victory against the month on, on Sunday night football against the Miami dolphins in those beautiful, beautiful Kelly green uniforms. How you feeling? I think the, uh, you're starting to get a groove here. Yeah. I mean the loss a couple of weeks ago to the jets sucked because well, it, it was their first loss and they could have won the game if it wasn't for all those turnovers. Plus it was the, the first time the jets had ever beaten the Eagles in 50 some years of games which is crazy it was only 12 and 0 but still um so that streak ended finally but yeah they rebounded uh great i was pretty confident going in because i i you know i saw who the dolphins had beat it was a bunch of nobodies uh buffalo had blown them out a few weeks before so i wasn't too concerned um as long as you know they didn't have another turnover fest it would be fine and yeah i got close at times, but really the Eagles uh, dominated the whole game. It was, uh, it should have been a lot. Yeah. Um, the sh- yeah, the, the score should have been a lot more lopsided than it turned out to be. And yeah, they play Washington Sunday. So they that stink. should, yeah, <laughs> they stink, but they, they took the, game the Eagles. Earlier, though. Yeah, they took the Eagles to overtime a few weeks ago, but they should win and they kind of have to win because then it gets really tough because they really play. Dallas, Kansas City, Buffalo, the Niners, Dallas again. Uh, they go to Seattle. They haven't beaten Seattle in 15 years. So it's, uh, yeah, it gets really tough coming up for them. But, yeah, I, I'm feeling good. The Niners have lost two in a row. They don't look like anything special. Um, the The Dolphins are frauds. The Cowboys are frauds. I think, you know, right now it looks like it'll be a Super Bowl rematch. But we have a oh, lot of football left to play. I wouldn't rule out those Ravens, man. Yeah, Ravens look very good now. But things, you know, it's the NFL. One week you're number one in the power rankings. The next week you're number five. Then you're back up and they're down. It's all kinds of uh, Or you you live in the bottom five like the New England Patriots (laughs) this this year. Yeah. Uh, It's like I want to just lose. I want to I know it. I want to. Yeah. I want a top three pick so I can get Drake May. Right. I want to get Caleb Williams. I want to get one of these quarterbacks. Uh, yeah. And then that, Bill is just kind of reminds everyone who he is. He finally beats Buffalo after a few years, or he hasn't, yeah. um, unless if it's eighty-five mile per hour wins. So, <laughs> right. Bill, congratulations, Bill, on your three hundredth win. Uh, I hope you yeah. don't get to three hundred and two. 
this year. I want a, I want a top oh, five pick because seven and ten, yeah. eight and nine, that's really gonna get us nothing. Oh, I want, I oh totally. You have a pick a picker of a year. If you're not a contender and you're not going to make the playoffs, you may as well have one of the worst records yeah. in the league. Because, yeah, like you said, a seven and nine, or well, now it's eight and nine, uh, or whatever, seven and 10. That doesn't do anything for you. Um, I'm not sure about the, the quarterbacks. I mean, I don't watch, I don't follow college football as much as I used to. Yeah. I know the, that USC has dropped two games in a row, and uh, Notre Dame uh, kind of exposed Caleb Williams a few weeks ago. So we'll see. But no, of course, they need an upgrade from from Mac Jones. Uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. would be a nice uh, get, too. One of the best prospects at the wide receiver's position in a long time. And that's with all those Alabama guys coming out in the last few yeah. years. Yeah. And all those LSU guys coming out. So whew, it, you know, with Olave and... Yeah. Well, maybe at the end of the year, I can celebrate a Super Bowl championship and you can celebrate a number one overall draft selection and we'll both be happy hey i'll take it <laughs> let's rock with it all right kelly that was that's it for this episode it was good to kind of catch up with you talk some football talk some wrestling and talk some eagles and patriots uh more eagles than patriots perhaps but i think that's how it's gonna go from here on out buddy yeah and this is a to jersey by the way in case oh, uh, people right. didn't know so, yeah this is so we got my nab we got yeah. westbrook we got to we're yeah. getting there we're the holy trinity though. The holy trinity of the 04 Eagles uh, Super Bowl NFC champion team. Yeah. Uh, that Actually, I don't have any other Eagles jerseys. So next time – actually, next time I'm going to wear a, a CFL jersey to go with that. So, yeah. All right. Just like T.O. in 2005, I'm going to go do some sit-ups in my driveway. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Kelly, I'll catch you on the next episode, buddy. Yeah, great. Take care.